0: That was one of the greatest single moments in Giants history, the Brian Johnson home run. It captured the hearts of the city and catapulted the Giants to the 1997 NL West crown. It's what Johnson is remembered for. But did you know he was winning championships with Bruce Bochy before either one of them even put on a Giants uniform? He's got some stories to tell. All that and more as we go inside Brian Johnson's Giant Moments now, now. This is Inside Giant Moments. Presented by T-Mobile, our franchise has countless memorable, iconic moments. Join Mark Willard as he connects with our former players who lived these moments to relive the emotions, the stories, and the joy. Brian Johnson joins the Inside Giant Moments podcast. This is one of those ones where I know our listeners, Brian, are going to be like, well, I know what that moment is, so uh, we're we're (laughs) going to work toward it, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. How are you, man? Thanks for doing it.
1: Um, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be talking a little baseball.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Really, really looking forward to, uh, to having this chat. You know, you have what I think is one of the most fascinating athletic stories from start to finish, that I've ever seen, which started way before you became a big league catcher. I think a lot of Giants fans know you're a local guy, Skyline High, named State Athlete of the Year three times. You played baseball, but football, basketball as well. At that time when you were at Skyline, which sport did you think was your sport?
1: Uh, Well, you know what? I love playing basketball the most, I think from an athletic standpoint, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of the most fun to play, but I wasn't the best at it. You know, so um, uh, I really put a lot of my time into baseball and the football, and really enjoyed both of those equally. Um, I don't know. It, it was hard to. It was hard to. I think probably in the end, it worked out probably to the best to where I I was able to play baseball and uh, professionally, and, and I think that worked out pretty well. But it, well, as far as being the, the best sport uh, that I played. But deep down side, if I had to do it all over again, it would have been fun just to see how the football piece would have gone. But
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and and I, I look, you know, you played at Stanford. We'll get to that in a second. But the basketball thing—that's interesting that that's your that's your answer. And and when you were playing there, uh, Gary Payton was was a teammate of yours, if I have that correct. That's got to have led to a story or two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gary was a great guy and knew his family well. And, uh, you know, we played against each other in, uh, in in junior high school and then played together in, at Skyline. And Greg Foster was another guy that went to UCLA from our team that also played in the NBA for about 10 years. And, um, yeah, it was great. Both those guys had really good careers. And, and Gary, obviously, is a Hall of Famer. So um, I've been protecting Gary for a long time. You know, people complained when he was at Oregon State and with the Super that he talked too much trash I said, hey, it doesn't matter as long as you back it up. So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah Gary, Gary's I, I, been a, a good friend for a long time.
0: I, I bet you got some of that trash talk. We guys were in practice together, no?
1: No, not too much. He, did, he didn't need it with me. <laughs> he, 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 saved it. he saved it for the other teams. But uh, no, I, you know, I made sure that his spot on the bench was nice and warm when he came off the floor and ready and ready to go so no he didn't he didn't need his try to start with me
0: well you were no bench warmer in the other sports you get a scholarship to stanford and you're going to play both football and baseball but you're the quarterback of the football team at that time so i i had to think that that's kind of your focus was was the focus maybe a little bit more on football at that time
1: well I, you know during that time uh stanford had never won a national championship and in baseball, and our national, our recruiting class that year was number one in the nation. And um, so, yeah, football tends to dominate. So, yeah, to your point, uh, I definitely was more of a football player when I first got there. But, um, but when I got done with uh, football and I walked out to the baseball field, in the, uh, you know, in the springtime, uh, we went out and won the national championship my freshman year and sophomore year. So we had a pretty good squad there. And we, uh, from that baseball team, we had, we broke the record. I think Roger Clemens's uh, University of Texas team had nine players from a national championship team go to the major leagues, and we had ten. And uh, so that was pretty, pretty neat. And you know, overall, when you go, when you're a two-sport athlete at the college level, there's always, there's always one coach or both coaches that will keep tugging at you and, and trying to get you to play just one or just play their sport. Uh, predominantly and, and kind of forget the other one. And I I had the same thing with both the both the baseball team and the football team. And and it was okay. It wasn't bad. They just, you know, would like you to do that, but they, they understood that you didn't have to. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed playing both sports and thoroughly enjoyed my time at Stanford. So um, I don't know. I think equally during my college days, I was both football and baseball, uh, even though football probably took a little more of my time.
0: On the baseball end, I want you to answer this honestly, too, with your Bay Area roots. When you were growing up, Giants or A's?
1: <laughs> I went to both of them. I was probably more of an A's, A's fan growing up, uh, but uh, I was a good friend of mine that had season tickets. Uh, Wally Thompson was his name, and he ran a, a men's softball team. And I was a bat boy for them early on, and and uh, he would you know, allow a bunch of us to be bat boys and, as we were growing up, and he would take us to San Francisco all the time to to go to Giants games, and we would go to A's games as well. So um, we were we were hardcore Bay Area sports teams, and, and definitely more A's early on, but uh, but we loved the Giants too, and the and the World Series, and in '89, the, the Earthquake World Series. We were, uh, it was, you know, for every Bay Area sports fan, I think during that time, it was it was a pretty special moment.
0: You didn't ever wear a split hat, one of those Giants slash A's hats, did you? <laughs>
1: No, I never did. I never did. I uh, <laughs> I think I think once I got older, and especially when I played for the Giants, I couldn't go back. I had to I had to be a little bit more towards the Giants at that point. So, no, I've seen a lot of those. Actually, I like the split jerseys are pretty sweet, but the hats, the hats, <laughs> not so much.
0: Yeah, not so much. Um, <laughs> so, going back to the high school days, that's when you were a catcher. You get to Stanford on the baseball end. I saw that you played just about every position but catcher. So then when you get drafted and you were drafted by the Yankees, how did you end up back at the catcher position in pro ball?
1: Yeah, good question. Yeah, so when I, like I said, when I came out after football was done, you know, all the baseball guys had had kind of, uh, you know, had time. I had the fall ball and had about 20, 30 games ahead of me. And so um, our coach, Mark Marquis, asked me, uh, he said, hey, we need a right fielder. Have you ever played right field? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I could play it, no problem. And I had never played right field day in my life. And um, so I just kind of went out there and did that. So it went pretty well. So as it turned out, I backed up and played seven different positions, excluding catcher and uh, second base. Uh, I pitched a couple times in mop-up games. I think Cal Berkeley is where one of them was, Um, at least uh, but then you know it came to my junior year and in baseball you could be drafted after your junior year and I was kind of ready to move on I was just about to graduate and and um, and my football stuff had gone pretty well but I was kind of anxious to to get back to catching honestly I was I was bored playing the other positions I you know backed up at short back to or played a lot of third started in left field for a couple of seasons and and uh, played first base and, you know, taking ground balls at every position each day. It was great, but it, I was so bored in the outfield. I really wanted to go back to catching. And and Stanford had recruited there and had a couple guys that were really good. Eric Cox and Doug Robbins were there. And, and so I was kind of stuck in that, um, you know, I was really kind of anxious to get back to catching. So the Yankees ended up drafting me as a third baseman in the 16th round um, and after my junior year. And after they drafted me, I said, hey, by the way, can I can I catch? I want to go back to catching And they said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, well, at least give me a chance. Let me show you what I can do first because they really wanted me to play third. And uh, so I showed them what I could do as a catcher. And, and they said, okay, you're a catcher. And that was kind of the rest of the rest of the story. And, um, you know, nowadays, a lot of the general managers, a lot of the teams are going back. They're not going back, but they're really encouraging guys to play different positions and and find that as a, as an asset, and I I felt that was too as a player because I could play anywhere, I could play an outfield, play infield, and I could catch. Uh, but it was really um, it was really frowned upon during my day as a, as a player um, during the nineties and, and early two thousands. And and I really kind of you know I didn't like that. I think I could have been a little more valuable if they would have let me play other positions in addition to catching. So uh, anyway, that was the story, that's how I, I got back to catching after all that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, my gosh, the guys now would love this. You're a Farhan Zaidi dream. He could have put you in a different position every single inning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that's the one I enjoyed That was the fun part. It was, I love catching. I love calling the game. That, that was really the, the essence of uh, – and I was a hitter, so I really loved doing those two things. So, um, But, again, from a team standpoint, if I'm a manager, if I get somebody that can play – other positions, um, like Farhan is doing, I, I think is valuable to the team, and uh, especially if the guy can hit, you, you, you find a way to, to keep him in the lineup. So, uh, but I'm, I enjoyed my time there, are no complaints. But uh, had I do over again, it would have been fun to play a little more in, in other positions.
0: All right, so let's let's get into the bigs now. As you get there, you spent some time with the Padres and the Tigers, but in 1997. The Tigers trade you to the Giants. You're coming back to the Bay Area. How did you find out about this news?
1: Oh yeah. So um, I had a really good time in San Diego. I stayed there with with that organization for five years. Um, In Double A, we won a championship. And Bruce uh, Bochy was my manager in Double A in Wichita, Kansas, in the Texas League. And um, so we won a championship together. I was really rising, doing well in San Diego. I had my first three years. In the big leagues in San Diego, uh, but then they traded for John Flaherty, um, uh, who was with um, you know, the Tigers, and so they gave him the, the starting job at the major league level. And so I had been backing up uh, Brad Ausmus, and so here I go again. I had to back up John Flaherty, so I requested a trade after my third year in the big leagues uh, because I wanted to go play every day, and you know. As a catcher, especially, you're, the clock is ticking on your career. Your legs aren't going to hold up so long. So I was playing well, and I wanted an opportunity to play. And so um, they granted my wish, but they sent me to Detroit, uh, that really wasn't a very good organization at that point. And they were, especially at the big league level, they were kind of struggling. So uh, I went to the big leagues uh, with Detroit in the trade in uh, 1997, and and I was told. That, you know, I was only going to play every other day. A guy named Matt Walbeck was also traded to there from Minnesota. And so here I was trying to, you know, be careful what you wish for. Um, I only got to play one. You know, as a player, you want to play multiple days in a row to get the rhythm of the game, to get a feel for the pitchers, to be able to adjust, to be able to make adjustments in your swing. Um, and so when you're only playing one day in a row and sit, one day sit, one day sit, it's really kind of a drag, especially I was coming to a new league. Matt Walbeck had already played in the American League, and back then the National League and American League were definitely two different uh, atmospheres. Um, so anyway, I was miserable. I was playing terribly when I did get a chance to play. It was freezing cold here in Detroit, and, um, and we were playing in the old stadium, so it was even colder, it seemed. And so I called my friend Dusty Baker. I was like, man. Any chance you guys need some catching up there? <laughs> and he uh, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, we might need some. Hold on a sec. Uh, I'll call you back. So he called me back the next day, and, and Brian we made the trade um, a few days later for um, actually another Skyline Titan, uh, Skyline High School alum, Marcus Jensen, who's a, a friend of mine. And so that was weird to be traded uh, one for one uh, for a guy that you knew and, and respected and, and even went to the same high school.
0: This is an entirely unique story. Does this happen more than we know? Like, I mean, you you call someone, and, and a couple a couple days later, it's like, sure, we'll make a trade. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. Yeah, it was crazy.
1: You know, I, I called a few people. I had, you had my agent call, you know, calling around. So it's just kind of what you were doing uh, some people that you know in the game, um, you know, trying to see where opportunities were, or if if, if uh, or, or if the people that you were calling, if they knew of anybody who was looking for a catcher. This is right around the trade deadline. So people were there a lot of calls being made, a lot of things are being discussed. But at that time, they had Rick, um, Rick Wilkins and Damon Berryhill and Marcus Jensen were the three catchers in the big leagues with the, with the Giants. And um, I guess Brian Sabian, you know, was kind of looking to do something else. And, and uh, I think Rick Wilkins was making a, a bunch of money also. So he just kind of made a switch. So it ended up being Damon Berryhill and myself when I first got there. And then I played really well, really well right from the start when I got to the Giants. Um, and it just kind of took off. So I kind of took the number one job within a week. And then I was the number one catcher the rest of the season and then, you know, to, to, uh, to the next year as well. So it ended up working well for me. And, you know, from San Diego, I was looking for a place to start. It didn't happen right away in Detroit. But in a roundabout way, I eventually got my opportunity to start to play every day. And, and it worked out really well in 97
0: uh We need to back up for a second because I don't think I knew about you playing for Bruce Bochy all the way back in Double A, and you guys won a championship. Yeah. What, what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. We um so both and now you know you see how bad Bruce walks walks around. You know he's got a bad day because he had hurt his back so long ago. Yeah, and it, I was with him when he hurt him. He uh, was back in the Wichita days. We, we were playing the Angels, I think, on the road and. And um, I can't remember even what state we were in, but we went to the weight room, and you know there's a bunch of bunch of girls around. So he was trying to flex up and 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 put on a little extra weight, and and he wrenched his back really bad. And it was kind of hilarious at the time. We were all kind of teasing each other, um, but it actually ended up being a real bad injury for him that, that you know really kind of stayed with him for the next you know 20 years or so. So it wasn't, so it wasn't that fun. But, yeah, but playing it really was fantastic back then, and it was uh, in the San Diego Padres organization. And, and uh, so the next, so we wanted that year. Um, I was the MVP of the playoffs and, and really kind of making strides. And, and uh, two years later, he would be the third base coach uh, for me in the big leagues. Uh, Jim Riggleman was the manager, uh, and then Jim Riggleman would go take the Chicago Cubs job and Boats would take over the managerial general. So I played for Boats in 95 and 96 in San Diego. And in 96, we won uh, the, the National League West, um, I guess the Dodgers in the last game of the, of, the, of the season in Dodger Stadium against them. We had to win three in a row, and we did uh, with King Caminiti and those guys. Uh, so it was really a really great time. So I've known Boats for a long time, and we've won uh, two different championships together. And then when I was a scout with the Giants, uh, for these past 10 years, we've been through a little series together. So, uh, you know, yes, Tim Linscombe is important. Yes, Matt Kane and all those other guys are important. But you get that Bruce Bochy-Brian Johnson combination together, you got something to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, who knows? That, that that dominating twosome has been going on for, like, uh, you know, 30 years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that, you know. and, and he was and, – and, and, and all that uh, – all that's gone on with him physically—it was from trying to impress the ladies, huh?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a beat-up old, stinky weight room in uh, somewhere <laughs> on the road in the Texas League, and and he was getting a little cocky and feeling feeling himself a little bit, and and uh, he was in the squat rack, and it just didn't work out that, that day. Uh,
0: so, oh man. Need, needless, to uh, say,
1: needless to say, I've teased many times over the last. 20
0: years about, about that day so right. um, <laughs> you were the one of all the people in the giants organization you were the one who was there that's right
1: that's right that yeah. was
0: so um, all right so let's circle back to that trade though that that you called dusty and and essentially asked for and it. it works out you, you're not just getting to a better organization you're coming home what, what are your emotions yeah. like then
1: yeah, it was big. Well, you know, first of all, uh, so it, Dusty, um, you know, Dusty was a friend of mine. I met Dusty when I was at Stanford. Um, my sophomore year, he was good friends with um, with our track coach at Stanford. And uh, and he was trying to look for some help on the coaching end because Dusty was a uh, hitting coach at that point for um, – um, what's his name? Who's his manager down those days? Anyway – uh, but he was the hitting coach, and Kevin Mitchell was on his team. Kevin Mitchell was kind of a handful and kind of getting some trouble. And, and you know, the, uh, um, they all they asked Dusty to you know to kind of help out and kind of reeling him in and kind of keeping him on the field and things like that. So Dusty reached out to our track coach at Stanford, and I was friends with him. And so he kept telling. So uh, Brooks uh, Brooks Johnson was the track coach's name, our previous prep coach at, at Stanford. And so Bruce kept telling me, "Hey, I got a friend of mine, or I got somebody that I want you to meet. He's in baseball. His name Dusty Baker, and he would tell Dusty the same thing. Hey, I got a friend of mine, Brian Johnson, wants you to meet him. So we met on the track one day and just kind of hit it off and really became close friends uh, right away, which you know everybody does when they when they meet Dusty. He's such a good guy. And, and um, so that's where that relationship started. But Brian Sabian, who was the general manager during that time, obviously Brian had uh, drafted me when I was with the Yankees. I first started with the Yankees. Uh, like I said, drafted out of Stanford in my junior year, and Brian Sabian the one that drafted me. And, uh, and, and um, so that's how that started. So when when, Save, when Dusty told Save that hey, um, Brian's available, Brian Sabian knew a lot about me already. Um, so that's how that kind of went and got into play and, and got things rolling. So, but specifically to your question, you know, it was just a, it was a dream come true to be able to come home and and be a part of the Giants team and and um, you know the group group of guys that they had on team were fantastic. But more so, it's just really a special thing to be able to come home and play in the stadium that you grew up going to watch uh, games as a little kid. I mean, it, it
0: just really was incredible. Cool and to,
1: to be able to play well during that time, or at least you know help the team out during that time, um, was a big deal also. So. Uh, just really special. I, I just I couldn't be more grateful for the for that opportunity and and that it you know happened to play out the way that it did. Um, it was great. It was a great two years for me.
0: I got to ask you and listening to you you piece all the this together and connect all these dots. Sabian drafts you and then he's with the Giants and you meet Dusty mm-hmm. and then he's with the Giants and then there's Bochi in the Miners and then he's here <laughs> with the Giants. I mean, it, it makes me want to ask you: Do you believe this was all? like, destined in some sort of a way?
1: (laughs) I don't know. know, I've never looked at it that way. Um, It just, you know, it just kind of played out. But, you know, that's kind of how baseball is. It's it's a very small community. It's a small environment. Most everybody knows everybody, at least back then. And uh, so these are the way, you know, sometimes these are the way things happen. And if you are able to, you know, have some good relationships with people, um, you know, oftentimes your agent is the one that will make these calls and do those types of things. But, um, you know, my agent was And Dennis Young, he was a, a lawyer in Oakland, and, and he was my little league and my high school coach, and, and he was awesome. But uh, I was his only client, so there really wasn't that opportunity to to make a bunch of calls. But because I was the one that had the relationships, which you know worked worked out well for me. Um, but yeah, it, it all it all kind of came together. And and um, you know, Hensley Mullins was our hitting coach in in San Francisco when I was the scouting for 10 years, and, and, and Bam Bam was uh, came up with the Yankees the same time that I did, and, and we were there together. Joe LeFay was another coach that we had uh, with the Giants, and, and also the scout with us with the Giants, and Joe LeFay was one of my coaches uh, with the Yankees, and uh, Keith Champ, he was another one of our uh, advanced scouts uh, with with the Giants when uh, I was scouting also, and, and Champ was my uh, catching instructor when I was with the San Diego Padres in the minor league. so yeah, it's a it's very very small community and uh, you all know, kinda of overlap over the course of twenty you know, twenty two years that spend the game, you you're bound to overlap with quite a few people.
0: Uh, it's incredible. An incredible story, and I wonder have you ever reflected with Brian Sabian about this time? I mean, he was making a lot of deals through that year. Prior to that season was the Matt Williams deal and that really kinda of got things going as he as he reworked the roster and I'm sure uh your deal it was not one that made a lot of news at the time, but it ended up being as you've detailed a, a huge deal uh for for that season yeah
1: yeah you know I think it was from a from a humble standpoint from you know if I could say so myself I, I think it was important i think I think general managers are often trying to build their roster and and a lot of times they, they try to build up uh different parts of their roster that aren't performing well in a given season. And I think that's what happened with us. I, I don't think, you know, during that time, catchers weren't necessarily uh, looked to to be offensive weapons. Um, and so the three guys that they had were, you know, were, were having a down year and, and weren't quite doing what they were doing and or what they needed to do or what they wanted to do, what they were capable of. They were having a down year. And so you try to, you know, bring in some a new new look, a new person, maybe a new outlook or, or whatever it is, and, and kind of mix it up. And it just so happened to work really well, both for the Giants and for me. And I just needed a, another opportunity. And and unfortunately, um, it, it worked out the way. But yeah, I think I think you know you know look at the the three World Series teams. You look at the the bottom of the roster, the, the, the guys that you know Marco Scudero comes in and plays second base and. And, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't really a high-end free agent. He wasn't somebody that was, that was garnering, a ton of, garnering a ton of interest during that time. And we were able to get him and put him in, and he was a superstar for us. So,
0: yeah, a lot of those times those things work
1: out really well for teams.
0: Let's go to July 20th now um, after the acquisition, and you make your first start as a Giant right out of the gate, two for three with a double. You drive in a run against the Cardinals. What was that day like?
1: <laughs> it was hot. I remember it was really yeah. hot. <laughs> it was at the, the, old, the old Bush Stadium, and and uh, you know I was just really I, you know I for the previous month I'd really been miserable at the plate. Just didn't have any confidence, and I, I was I was playing in AAA for a couple of days in the big leagues for a couple of days with the Tigers, and just you know just all over the place. You just really had you just you know you kind of feel like the worst. You know what, it, a slump for a baseball player is not just feeling bad. When you're in a slump as a hitter, you feel like the worst player on the planet uh, while you're going through. You're like, how on earth did I ever hit a home run? I can't even get out of the infield. And uh, my rhythm's off, my balance is off, my, I'm looking. You know, I'm taking strikes and, looking at, and swinging at balls. It's just the worst. And sure enough, I leave from over, over in the Detroit organization in in, in or in Michigan period. And I come over here, and I get a chance on the road, thrown right in there, like you said, and with a bunch of guys I don't know at all. But a league that I know, I spent four years, uh, you know, with the Padres, so I knew the National League really well. And uh, and a lot of the pitchers were, you know, the same ones. It had only been a year since I'd been there, so I was in kind of a comfortable territory. Like I said uh, to you earlier, back then, uh, the National League and the American League were distinctly different leagues and different rhythms to the game and different players and and now that you didn't play everybody, interleague play had not happened yet. And uh, so, sure enough, I got into a rhythm right away where I just kept it simple and kept my balance and tried didn't try too much. And, and I hit a line drive right between uh, the first baseman and the second, field, uh, second baseman to right field that drove in and run, and that locked me in. And I, boy, I was red hot for the next three months. Um, you know, just off of that one at-bat that I really just calmed down, took a deep breath, didn't try to do too much, and just tried to go the other way and hit a line drive, and sure enough, it happened. And, and just That's how baseball is, that locked me in for the next three months for the next you know, couple hundred at-bats. It's a really, really strange game, but it can be really fun when, you, when you're playing well.
0: Well, the evidence of what you're saying then pours out the very next day because there's your, your very first Giants home run the next day in St. Louis. What do you remember about that at-bat?
1: Yeah, I remember that well. The last few was a little bit the uh, you know Mark McGuire was uh, was turning the world on the side at that point, and there was a big end, big arch, like uh, McDonald's uh, arches up in the, the stands, uh, way up higher than where my home run went. So I remember looking up there like, <laughs> hey, it, it was right in line with the McDonald's thing. It was just a little bit shorter than where he was putting. So, but um, so, yeah, I remember that well. It was uh, again, it was. Um, uh as a fastball to two oh point. I just thought, uh, you know, somebody a uh, pitcher was aggressive man. I don't remember who it was but um and I just didn't try to do too much and I got hold of it and it really ended up a to be a good the rest of the season for me power wise. I really uh put up some good power numbers and and, and overall um again as a hitter and as a catcher, you know, I'd, there was a lot going on. I was trying to, to get to know all the pitchers on our staff and and as I said earlier, you know, calling the game is something I really prided myself on. I really took a lot of time with it. It really felt like I had a philosophy as far as how to strategically get guys out. So, I had a lot of stuff went on. So, when I got to the plate, you know, I was in the rhythm and I was in a groove, uh, both on the defensive side and the offensive side. So, uh, you know, honestly, I was having a blast,
0: which you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, you've mentioned that that you did take over as the – the the starting catcher the rest of the way. Was that your understanding with Dusty right away or did that kind of develop because of what you were doing?
1: No, no, not not at all right away. I was told when I got there that I'd be the uh the, the backup catcher and that I'd you know get a couple pinch hits make, maybe a week, maybe a Sunday start. And I said, Sure, okay, whatever. And um but I knew that if I just got a chance to, to show what I could do, I, I could do more than that. Um, again, like I said, I played really well in San Diego and, and uh, I was backing up Brad Austin, but eventually it became a 50, 50, um, um, not a true platoon, but we basically split the time eventually in that second year. And then they traded Brad away, um, to Detroit. Um, so I really was confident as far as what I could do at the major league level. I just needed one more opportunity to do it. So. Um, but no, the the expectations were were very conservative to begin with, and I understood that. And Damon Herrick, Barry Hill was a good player and a good veteran player, and and I respected him, and and he was great with me. So uh, I I was as supportive as, as I could possibly be uh, with Damon, and and just tried to buy my time and show what I could do um, when I got my chance, and I did. <laughs>
0: The team was in first place for the majority of the year, but I, I wonder if you remember this series. In August, you guys got swept in Pittsburgh, and for the first time in a while, you fall into second place behind the Dodgers. So what, what, what was going on with the team at that time?
1: Yeah, we were just kind of hit a rut. You know, we uh, we weren't pitching real well, and, and, and we weren't hitting real well either. And, and um, I almost got into a fight with our pitching coach during that time, uh, uh, Dick pole was our pitching coach and and uh, you know it was kind of emblematic of what was going on. We were kind of frustrated, we weren't playing great and, and everybody was kind of bickering at it and and uh, um, I think I think Kurt Reeder was a pitcher on the mound. We threw a curveball middle of the game. It was you know it just it was a double to the gap and and I think Turner Ward was the guy who hit it and um, you know it, I think it tied the score or something. But it was like the sixth inning. It wasn't a real big deal. And it wasn't necessarily a bad pitch. The guy just hit it, hit it well. And so I got back to the dugout, you know, Dick Cole kind of read me. He's like, what did you call that pitch for? Um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of um, it's a sticky situation for a catcher and a pitching coach. Because oftentimes pitching coaches, when things are going wrong, they're going to blame the catcher because they, they try to keep the, the blame off themselves. So um, Dick Cole, who I like a lot, a lot of respect for, we didn't see eye to eye on this day, and because I, and, and I had it before. If, if I took you before this game in Pittsburgh, I had said, hey, Dick, what do you want me to do? Hey, you know, because I'm still pretty pretty new to the team. Uh, you know, what strategy do you want to be for a reason, um, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he's like, oh, i just call whatever he wants to do, what you, whatever he wants to throw. And so for me, I said, okay, that means I get to do what I want to do. <laughs> I gave you an opportunity <laughs> to give me to give me some guidance. Too <laughs> the many guys, and so, therefore, I'm taking control. Uh, and that's what Woody wanted, too. Uh, Kurt Reeder and I worked very really well together. Uh, you know, because that's where you know you have a good relationship with a catcher is when a catcher guides you through a game. It doesn't mean i called everything for him. It means I know as a catcher, I know what Curt Reeder wants to try. And I know how best to get him to the game because I have the best uh, vantage point with the hitter. I can tell what he's doing. I can tell what he's breathing, how he's breathing. What he's looking at when he's in the plate, at the plate, the, in the batter's box, I can get a real good feel for where he's at as a hitter, which helps me help help the pitcher get through the game. So, anyway, that being the the, the background to that situation, you know, this innocuous double to the gap that scored a run that really didn't mean anything in the game. You know, Woody and I were like, you know, whatever. That did not mean anything. That's not going to beat us. And so I get to the dugout and Dick Paul started ringing me out. I'm like, hold on a second. I gave you an opportunity to give me some guidance, and you said no. You told me to just call what I wanted to call, or, or call what Woody wanted. So now you got something to say when something goes wrong, you know, uh, I got I, I pushed him back, and, and we were down the hallway. We almost came to blows, and Barry Bonds and Stan Javier came and, and kind of separated us. So, uh, you know, it all worked out fine, and, and you know, we, we became friends later on, Dick Poe and I. And, and, but in that point, I think, indicative of what was happening um, is that we were we were a little nervous and we needed to to kick our game into gear. And I think, you uh, know, maybe not have been that night or the next day, but once we got off that road trip and we got back home, we really started to play a lot better and played really well the rest of the season.
0: I think that the listeners and Giants fans are going to be really interested that, that Barry Bonds was the one – uh, who, who was the calm voice? Who <laughs> who separated yeah. everybody in a situation like that?
1: Yeah, there was uh, was a good teammate. Uh, Stan Javier was a great teammate also. And there, you know, there's a lot of stuff that went on. Uh, you know, in our clubhouse and in our side in the, the dugout, actors to the games, and and we all—it was just a really good, good group of guys and. And we all tried to be there for each other. And, and you know, Barry and Stan didn't necessarily take my side or Dick's side. They just said, hey, we don't we don't need to have this going on with our team. Let's separate these guys out. Let's get through it. And then just keep playing ball. And, and that's what we did. So uh, it was great. I was, uh, I was appreciative those guys were there. I didn't, you know, I didn't want things to get out of hand. I think Dick wanted it to – didn't want things to get out of hand either. Uh, so – and that's what, that's what you need when you have a team environment, would you have – multiple leaders, you know, a lot of talk is, is done where, well, oh, this guy's the leader of the team, Well, oh, this guy, you know, this, this guy's the this straw that stirs the drink or whatever. Um, but in reality, you need multiple, many leaders. They're both pitchers and position players uh, for situations just like this. You know, if you have one great leader, he's not going to be around all the time. So you have to be able to handle a little dust-ups that happen or misunderstandings that happen and, and keep chugging along. So it's important to have your manager and your coaching staff would be good leaders, but you also have to have uh, position players and pitchers be good leaders
0: as well. Uh, you guys get through it, and you're hanging in there. So in, into September, it's really tight the whole way. And, and here are the Giants and Dodgers jockeying for the NL West, and uh, and you're in the middle of it. A, a Bay Area kid and a Stanford kid is now with the Giants battling the Dodgers in September. This is the scenario that many of us imagined when we're kids in, in the yard I wonder if, in the middle of it, you had any chance to reflect on that.
1: You know, one of the things I'm most proud of during my, uh, you know, seven seven plus years in the major leagues was that I really felt like I was good at appreciating the moment, and appreciating the grass and the trees and the and the atmosphere and and playing at home or just playing, just being a big leaguer. Period. I would have been happy with just one day in the big leagues. Uh, but I got, you know, over 900 games or whatever it was. And, and uh, I was really appreciative of everything that was going on. And especially to be able to play important, meaningful baseball in September, especially being able to do it in the National League West that I knew really well, uh, especially being able to do it back in my hometown, the Bay Area fans. It, it was really neat for me to be able to play in the Bay Area because I had grown up there. Like you said, I went to Stanford. I knew I had a lot of people that I knew. And that knew me, and I th- and I knew deep down inside that it really made the game a little more interesting when you know somebody. So, because uh, I always felt that way, you know, I I, I got to meet uh, Dennis Johnson with the Seattle SuperSonics when I was a young kid uh, before they won the back-to-back championships in in Seattle in '76 and '77, and that really was a special thing for me. I got to meet him a couple times, and and uh, two or three times we were able to have lunch uh, with my my agent Dennis Young. I had grown up with him. And, uh, so that really made it special for me. So for when the tides, when the tables were turned, and as a major league player, I was able to be that guy that, you know, that, that maybe the, the baseball fan and or the, 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 the non baseball fan in the Bay Area at that time could, could recognize that, hey, he's a local guy. Let's, let's, you know, let's take a look. Let's watch the Giants. I, I took a lot of pride in that and I really tried to perform and to behave, frankly, in a way that, that would make, you know, people that knew me, be proud of what I was doing and be happy and, and feel like they were going through it as well. So it was really fun to be able to experience something and live through something but know that there's a lot of people that vicariously were right there with you. And, and that's a pretty, pretty special uh, time and pretty special feeling to, to go through.
0: No doubt. And, and the rivalry as well. Like how did the Giant-Dodger rivalry, to live it, how did that match what you knew about it before you got there?
1: yeah sure so like i said i i went to a lot of giants games when i was younger i think i was we were there um the night that davy lopes and a bunch of guys went into the stands to to fight at at candlestick way back when (laughs) it's been so long i can't remember if i if i was actually there. i've seen the video so many times but i think we were there uh maybe on the other side of the field but i think we were there so i i knew all about it and joe morgan um you know his his he had a house in oakland and so i I I come across Joe a few times and uh and so I remember his home run when he when he hit it against the Dodgers to to keep them out of the playoffs and and um, so you know big I was a big baseball fan, baseball historian. I knew all the great players from both the Giants and the Dodgers rival rivalries over the years. So yeah, to be able to play in that in September, like I said, when it means something, when it counts, and then, you know, in late September when they come to our place and we play them two in a row and if we lose two in a row, we're out. Yeah. We're, we're done. We have to win both games because we're two games out. We have to win both games in order to just, um, you know, really have a good chance to, to win the division. And, you know, it, it's, it sounds cliche a little bit, but it's really harder to win the, the, the league, the division title, than it is to win the World Series. Because the World yeah. Series is like 12 games. But a division title is 162 games in 172 days. That's a lot. So it, it was really special, and they had, and they were loaded. You know, they had Raul Mondesi, they had uh, Eric Karos, uh Mike Piazza. You know, uh, they had they had a loaded squad, and were definitely the favorites, and they deserved it. They they seemed to win the division every year, uh, but this time around it was going to be a little bit different.
0: Yeah, no doubt it was, and and the build up to that series was another little rut, a, a mini one, if you will. It, it's mid September. You guys were in the road and florida and atlanta you end up losing four straight games and that's what knocks you two games behind the dodgers on the way home to face them for two what was that plane flight back to the bay area like
1: oh yeah it was uh it was long dusty did a, a great job and you know they a lot of people don't get you know they see what a manager does on the field and the moves that he makes on the field and certain parts of the game but what what doesn't what the fans don't get to see, which they really would enjoy, is the behind-the-scenes stuff and and the relationship building. I mean, and that's key to any leadership uh, position, be it corporate America, be it a team or a school or whatever. A coaching staff, you really got to have a relationship with guys. Why? Why do you need relationship? Because when things are bad, you want to be able to understand. Number one, what your um, what your players are going through. But number two, you've got to be able to know what makes them tick, what makes each individual guy tick. We've got 25 guys on the team. Dusty knew every player to a T, meaning he knew how to communicate with them. He knew how to congratulate them. Some guys, you know, it was just a high five. Some guys was just sitting down and, and explaining exactly what they did in detail and then giving them the encouragement that way. Um, the other guys just was just a nod. Um, so when things go bad, it's very important for your leadership or your leader to know also what encourages, what gets the guy going, what, what, he, what he may be going through. Is he going through a slump that's like 0 for 20, or is he just 0 for 3 that just looked horrendous for 3 at-bats? <laughs> uh, is he a pitcher that, that, that has had a rough week or a rough month? Um, it, you know, what specifically is he doing? Is he just missing his targets and getting behind early? or is he having a hard time finishing the hitter off and and not choosing the uh, not putting the ball in the right location to get strike 3 and giving up bad hits with two strikes so and on top of that you know what's his wife like what's his relationship with his family like is he missing his kids um you know what's going on with his kids and is there anything else pulling at him um so the, the manager it's it's a complicated uh uh job but Dusty is so good at it uh, he you know to get to the to the, to the point of, of your question is on that plane flight coming from atlanta we, were, we we had a bad series we had played well up until that point, but we had a bad series and Atlanta had chipper jones and and greg Maddox and and, and all of their their studs, and they were a great team and they played really well at home and they, and we never played well there and we get our our tails kicked so getting on the plane back home, Dusty came and sat with each one of us and just talked to us. I remember him talking to me. We just talking like, hey, we'll get back home. We just recharge and, and, you know, forget the last four games. We played really well up to this point and, uh, you know, we're going to get the Dodgers when they come to our place. Um, and, you know, in a sense, that's, in essence, that's what he was saying and talked about a little about what I was doing at that point in time and just connecting in a way that only Dusty can connect. If, If anybody's ever met him, he just, he just has a personable way where you feel like you're his best friend. Um, you know, for the five minutes that you're talking to them. And, and it's, it's, it's a neat thing to have with somebody that you work for. Uh, so that's what happened on the way home. It was a little quiet on the way home, but I think there was a quiet confidence to it. And, um, and then once we got, we got home, we were all business. We got off the plane. Uh, we spent the night at our, you know, at our place in our, in our own homes, in our own beds. And then we knew the next day it was time to
0: rock. Uh, that is uh, that is a, a great way to paint the picture of what's going on. And a lot of people will, will only remember what happened to end game two of the series. But the first game was really stressful, too. Uh, you guys yeah. won two to one. Woody threw seven innings. Roberto Hernandez had a two-inning save. You were behind the plate. Yeah. So what, what was the building like? How would you describe the tension of that day?
1: Yeah, it was great. It was rocking. You know, Roberto Hernandez had been such a valuable uh, trade. Uh, that we got uh, Barry, I think, hit a home run, and, and it was just tight. I think it was two to one um, in that game, and, and uh, it was you know the wind was blowing it's typical for Candlestick, and and it was just tight. It was just a well played game, and 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 really tight uh, with both teams. I think I think the Dodgers had had was a were afraid of losing their their mantle and losing their their uh, place atop the division and and the you know the perennial favorites every time and. And they were loaded. They they knew they had the firepower to win at any point, any time, and it was up to us as the underdogs to to knock them out. We had to knock the champs out, and we had to do it. And uh Barry came up big, like I said, in that day, in that game, and uh, and even the next game was great too. And and uh but yeah, that first one was big. When we won that one, it was pretty quick too. I don't think it lasted very long. And we just kind of got two, two good pitching duels, and we we got after it and got out of there. And it was a, a a, a big confidence boost for us to win that first one uh, because that gave us some some momentum into the second one. If we lose the first one, I think it changes the dynamic. Um, and so, you know, we were grateful to get that one, and we were ready for that second one. A day game the next day, um, we were really confident that we were going to be able to get them.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when you guys won that first game, as a fan, it's like, okay, relief, because now – Worst case scenario, you end up two games back, but there's still nine games to go after the right. series is over. I, I remember, I still remember, Brian, having a conversation with my dad, and, and, and he was like, and I wonder if you guys were like him, He's like, no, 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 they have to win both. Was that right. your mindset too? Like you've got you to get them both.
1: Yeah, I think we did. We, we felt we played really well at home. We felt that, that this is the first place team. This is a chance to get a whole game. Uh, in it, but if you lose, you lose the whole game in the standings. So yeah, I, I think we were of the of the same accord. We had to win this one. We knew it. We were excited about it. We we were confident, and we were we were anxious to to, to really get after it. And uh you know that's where the you know the I remember the nervous energy before the game. Um Guys are just you know just jumping around, and just, it's like a football game. You know we were ready to go, and that was during the time you know the, the 49ers were. Were sky high during those days and, and playing great. So uh, the San Francisco uh, uh, sports fan was really—they uh, knew how to, to, to earn championships—and they they really helped us with that. The, the fans were—I think we had fifty-four, fifty-six thousand people there. The second game for that for that day it was a day game, and uh, it was really honestly—it was—you uh, know—we win in the twelfth inning. But it was the best game I was ever a part of for twelve innings. It was really uh, a neat. A uh, baseball game that had everything you could possibly want as a baseball fan. Everything you could possibly happen happened, and um, it, it was fun to be a part of.
0: Yeah, let's start in the fifth inning. Bonds hits a three-run homer off Tom Candiotti, and, and I got to feel like the stadium at that point goes into party mode because you're up, you're up five to one at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were feeling really good, and Barry had been so clutch so many times for us. and uh and and the people in San Francisco just loved barry and and yeah, it, it was it, it was it was really something and and it, it was still pretty early in the game, but we felt like it really gave us a good energy boost and a good confidence boost through, uh through the course of the game and uh but we also knew that those guys were loaded on the other side, and they sure enough came
0: back uh You caught all twelve innings, and you've mentioned a couple times this is a day game after a night game and it's high stress, high energy, physically, mentally. What was that like for you?
1: Oh, it was amazing. I I loved it. And, uh, you know, again, like I I mentioned, you know, every major league player wants an opportunity to play, you know, to to get an opportunity to really express yourself as an athlete and as a baseball player. And you only get to do that if you play every day. And it's just kind of one of the quirks of of athletics. And uh, so – to be able to do that for me really was was neat because, um, like I said, I had all respect in the world for Damon, but I was really playing well. So, to be able to 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 do the catch the night uh, day game after a night game was really uh, important for me. Uh, these were important games. I wanted to be a part of it. And again, strategically, as I've mentioned, um, I'm working on a book actually uh, about the strategy of, of calling a game. I think I think the you know regular sports fans would really enjoy hearing how you do that and, and what goes on. And and so this is really, you know, not just hitting, but I wanted to be a part of this because I knew I always did really well against the Dodgers for some reason. I had a knack for when to pitch inside off the plate, when to knock somebody down, when to, um, you know, what the guy's weaknesses were. And then to try to get each of our guys and our pitching staff through a game, I felt like I was, you know, well I felt like I was one of the better uh, catchers to be able to do that. So, I wanted to be there for my team to help us win. And, you know, and that game was important. You know, not everything goes well. And so another part of calling the game is when you're up 3-1 and you get down and things don't go your way in the middle innings of the game and, um, you know, you have to be creative and find other ways to get through the game and and adjust to your, your, you know, your pre-made plans before the game. Nine times out of ten, by the second, third inning, you've got to change your plans anyway because it doesn't, you know, uh, all those plans are, are good for a short term, and then everything changes. So that was really the fun part, uh, the strategy, uh, what pitch to call here and what pitch to call there. And, uh, you know, with with Rod Beck's situation, which I'm sure you're going to get to, um, that was really, really a fun time.
0: Uh, let's go to the seventh inning, and, and as you said, here come the Dodgers. They rally against Julian Tavares and, and Roberto Hernandez. They tie the game at five. Collectively, what's going through your minds at that point? Well, we're grateful
1: that that's all they got because the wind was blowing. Eric to hit a, uh, good Um, was it, I don't remember exactly. Maybe it was a little later, but anyway, Eric to hit the ball hard. It got knocked down by the wind. Uh, Piazza hit a blue single. Monacy hit the blue single. So, you know, to get blue singles, you're kind of happy about it with those, you know, powerful guys. But, uh, so I think we were relieved that they were only able to tie it and they didn't, uh, they didn't Get any uh room to work they didn't get ahead of us too bad or, or not at all because it was five five time so i think uh from what i remember we were just relieved to get through that knowing that we didn't play great for those middle innings and then to get down the home stretch and still be tied we felt like it was a pretty good situation for us
0: bottom half of the inning now game tied you get on base bases are loaded only one out you're the runner at second base and so you guys have to be thinking, this this might be it. This might be the rally that ties us for the West. Mark Lewis, it's a line shot, and you get doubled off. Take me through that play.
1: Yeah, yeah. It really is one of those, you in no man's land. You've got to be aggressive to try to score the run on the base hit. And But the the the, the, the challenge to that is just that type of situation. A line drive is hit, uh, a hard line drive is hit, and if it's close enough to the bag, you're going to get doubled off, and you're done. So. Um, those, you'd rather have that kind of situation where the the excitement the, uh, of a laser line drive being hit somewhere and a guy catches it instead of punching out, you know, striking out twice at the bases loaded, to end the inning. So if you had your druthers, if you had to take one or the other, I'd definitely take uh, a line drive at double play. However, I would have been much happier if somebody else was on second base instead of me.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well,
0: well, as we know, your your redemption would come. But before we get to the twelfth, you had an at bat in the ninth. Game still tied at five. Were you thinking home run?
1: No. Um, what did I do that at bat? You remember? I was think that, you. I, was, I think you struck out. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't remember any strikeouts. You know, I remember I hit a double earlier in the game, <laughs> but I don't. I definitely wasn't looking home run. But uh, no strikeouts, man. No, you don't. You don't remember strikeout. In, in my right. mind, I never. Struck, I never struck out. I don't remember any of my strikeouts, but I remember every home run I hit. I guarantee you no. <laughs> that. That's what I told my son when he was growing up. I was like, "Hey, man." Uh, don't worry about the the strikeouts. Just forget those, like they never even happened. But remember right. all the good stuff
0: that happened. So, <laughs> right. All right. We'll we'll act like that ninth inning didn't even happen. We'll we'll just keep going. That's so that's
1: what I prefer. <laughs> <thank> so <you.
0: laughs> let's get let's get to Rod back in the tenth because this this was the moment where everybody, you know, I, I mean, just it felt like they all swallowed a rock because the Dodgers right. load the bases with no one out. Dusty comes out to the mound. The, the the crowd is pretty emotional. What happened in that conversation?
1: Yeah, emotional is the way to put it. They were booing Rod, but right uh, you know, and that that was a tough time. Rod was struggling during that course of that season, and you know, he, he lost a little bit on his fastball. So his split finger fastball was uh, was his signature pitch. And when you lose your main fastball, that really takes away from the effectiveness of your strikeout pitch. So Rod had lost a little bit of that and he knew it. And so he really had to scramble every time he was, he was out there. Um, so, and we all felt for him, you know, he, he uh, that's why, you know, that's why they got Roberto Hernandez to come in to really kind of fortify that closer role uh, because that was kind of where he was at, where Rod was at, uh, you know, in his career, unfortunately. And so we all felt for him because we knew, hey, we're all going to go through that at some point in our career. And so when Rod got the bases loaded, and, and again, it wasn't, you know, rockets that were hit. They were kind of bloop here and, and, and you know, fly ball here or there. And, anyway, next thing you know, it's basically with nobody out. So Dusty comes to the mound. And uh, so it's me, Rod Beck, Dusty. I think JT might have been there. I'm not sure. But uh, actually probably everybody was there for a minute, and then everybody left when Dusty went. But Dusty said when he was there – he said, look, shooter, he said, I'm with you. He said, he said you're going to get us out of this, and and we're going to get in here. We're going to get you some runs. We're going to win this thing. He said, just, you know, dig deep down inside and find in yourself and let's get this done. And so he 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 walked out. Uh, Dusty turned around walked away. The other guys walked away, and it was just me and Rod Beck. And I said, okay, man, here we go. This is what's going to happen. I said, first pitch, we're going to go. I think it was uh, Eddie Murray was up first. Or, no, maybe it was Zeal. Anyway, uh, maybe it was Todd Zeal. Yeah, I think it was Todd Zeal.
0: So, Todd Zeal It was. It was Todd Zeal.
1: Yeah. So, Todd Zeal was up. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a a slider first uh, away. We're going to go fastball away uh, for for two strikes, and we're going to freeze him on a fastball inside. I said, with Eddie Murray comes up, we're going to throw a split. The first pitch is going to roll it over to J.K., and we're going to get double play, and we'll be out of it.
0: The infield stays in, he's batting left-handed, he swings, hits a ground ball to second, Kent's got it, he comes home for an out there, to first, double play, the Giants get out of it, they turn a double play, and Freecom Park goes crazy.
1: That's exactly what happened, I don't know how I described it that way, it just got lucky, because I described it a hundred times that way to a pitcher, because my philosophy, my my strategy at that point is just give my pitcher something positive to remember, give him something positive to think about. Because he got all there's all the the uh, he's got very little chance of succeeding in the situation, hostile environment, bases loaded to one of the best offensive teams in all of baseball, nobody out, crucial game, late in the game. There's really not a whole lot of scenario not not many. In, not many times in this type of scenario is that pitcher going to do well. So all I try to do is give him a positive uh, journey, a positive uh, road work, um, uh, a positive path. How about that? A positive path to get to where we needed to go. And sure enough, it happened that way because Todd Zula stands right on top of the play. He's four, but he stands right on top of the plate. really wants to get extended. He knows pitchers are going to pitch him outside. So he really wants to get extended because he's a, he's a home run hitter primarily. At this point, he was uh, not catching too much. He was primarily a first baseman. And I really want to get extended to get power. So Rod uh, threw two really good pitches a fastball away because Todd Zio took it and it stayed on the plate for strike one. Uh, Rod threw him a little rinky-dink slider. The second pitch it was probably Rod's third best pitch was a slider. But on this day, it was actually a pretty good one. So uh, I don't know if – I can't remember Todd. Check, it was a check swing or, or it was a called strike, but then we had him set up. It was 0-2. Typically, facing Rod deal, uh, a pitcher will will just play around with it and try to not make a mistake. But instead, we decided to get aggressive, and we call, and I called for a four-seam fastball inside on the plate. Typically, you know, you try to, to, to make different types of pitches inside with two strikes, but we didn't have any time to mess around. So I called four-seam fastball on the plate inside, and we went right to it, and it froze him. And he struck out, and he was pissed. Uh, Todd Zeal was pissed, <laughs> which was which was great for us. Um, and so the next guy was Eddie Murray. Um, Eddie Murray's Eddie Murray's a, a Hall of Fame guy coming off the bench with 500 home runs from both sides of the plate. He comes up left-handed, and so you know as a known as a pinch hitter, you're always looking fastball. Eddie Murray was definitely a great fastball and breaking ball hitter in his prime, but he was not in his prime anymore. And coming off the bench, it's really hard to identify and uh, differentiate between a fastball and a split-finger fastball right away. So I felt like that was an opportunity for us. Um, so Rod's split-finger at that time was acting a little more like a changeup instead of a true split that will come and kind of drop out of the zone. So I called for a split, and he threw a great one. It was kind of in the middle of the zone and dropped slightly to the, to the lower part of the zone. Eddie was, uh, was aggressive, bases loaded with, with one out. Eddie Murray, I know as a hitter, you've got to be aggressive. You know, you're not trying to get a walk in that situation. You're trying to get a double or a home run and really put this game away. So we used that aggressiveness that Eddie had to our advantage. And so uh, uh, um, shoot it through the split. Eddie rolled over to Jeff Kent, uh, a sharp ground ball to Jeff Kent. And I knew Eddie wasn't really fast either. So I got set at home plate. Mike Piazza was barely down on me from third base. Um, I thought he was going to take my legs out, which during that time was legal. So I knew I had right. to get the ball and get out of there quickly um, before, I, before he slid into me. So Jeff Kent uh, made a great throw to me right at my chest. I acted like a first baseman and had my foot on the plate. And as I caught it, I pushed off and pushed towards the pitcher, uh, kind of like a first baseman does, so I could clear and give myself enough room to throw. Um, but that takes a little bit more time, but I, so I really had to get a good throw off and, and really give it everything that I had, and and uh, sure enough, that's the way it went down. I, and I threw a good uh, strike down to JT at first base, and just in time uh, to get uh, Eddie Murray out because that's a hard double play to do. Uh, four two three is uh, is really a hard double play to uh, to manage in that type of situation. But the infield was in, so it really gave us an opportunity, and we did it, and the crowd. You know the crowd was very loud when they were booing Rod Beck, but now they were, all of a sudden, they had amnesia, and they felt like Rod Beck was once again their, uh, you know, their hero, and he had come through just like he had so many times before early in his career, and the crowd went crazy for Rod Beck.
0: Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that is an incredible story. You called it before it happened. I did. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. that's amazing! And, uh, and, yeah. yeah, it was. And uh, it was really weird.
1: And like I said, I you know I'm not trying to say that was by design. I've done it a hundred times before, and it didn't happen that way. But in just trying to describe something that was possible, um, but I just tried to give him a roadmap. Is hey, this is how we're going to get out of it. And it just so happened this time, it went exactly as I said it.
0: Uh, and then uh, the tension remains there in the building for the uh, for the, the you know through the tenth and and the eleventh and and uh, and then Rod Beck keeps on pitching and it rolls to you guys again in the bottom of the twelfth. The Dodgers make a pitching change; Mark Guthrie is coming in as you're coming up. So, what's your game plan with Mark Guthrie?
1: Well, you know, at that point, this is a three plus hour game uh we're we're, all of us were gassed emotionally and physically and you know like you said i'd caught the the night before caught a lot of games up until that night before and so you know this is this is a tough game a lot of pitches going on a lot of a lot of running a lot of a lot of everything so uh i just remember hey just just try to get a double to the gap and and get on base so somebody else can drive me in that's all i was thinking Line drives is kind of my forte. Where I, I felt like I felt pretty good about hitting the ball line drive uh, a line drive from line to line, from foul line to foul line. Uh, I used the home field pretty well, so I just I just felt like I was going to be relaxed, and I was always aggressive, and so it was just the first pitch that he threw. Um, I think I, they had said I had faced him before, but I I didn't really care. I just saw a left-handed hitter. I didn't really remember what I had done before. I didn't think a whole lot about it. I was just being aggressive. Whatever you're throwing in there, if it was a strike, I was going to hit it. And sure enough, I hit it and hit it good. And it was a really low line drive, though, which is weird because Eric Carroll had hit one up in the air much harder than mine. Well, it seemed much uh, much more um, for certain that his whole, his ball would go out of the ballpark uh, because he's a big, strong guy and he hit a big lofting uh, fly ball. But actually, the, the wind knocked it down. So by the time I came up, and the wind was still blowing really good, uh, for me to really be able to hit a line drive and cut the wind a little bit and get it, um, you know, get it down lower trajectory, really helped my ball uh, get out of the park.
0: Ryan Johnson, two for four with a walk, and he hits one high to the left field and deep. Hollingsworth is back at the wall. It It's been a long time since we have seen a celebration at home plate like the one we just saw. As the Giants waited for Brian Johnson at home plate. 6-5 is the final. These fans do not want to go home, and I don't blame them. An amazing moment for sure. You get around the bases. You get to home plate. Barry Bonds is holding Dusty Baker in the air. the the, the building has to be <laughs> bouncing. I mean, how do yeah. how do you describe this this entire feeling?
1: Well, you know, I've I've uh, I've described this before, so it, it's um, it was really bizarre. Um, I hit the ball, and I was like, "Wow!" As I'm running the first base, I'm like I might have gotten that thing, and so I just take a peek uh, over my shoulder just before I get to first base to see if it went out of the stadium. At, uh, at all, and and it did, and at the very moment I see you go over the, 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 the wall in left center field, um, I hit first base, and I kid you not, everything went silent. Mm-hmm. It was as if I was in a glass bubble because all the cheers, all everything, I don't know, something happened where physically my brain shut everything out And it was completely silent for me. I swear to God that as I ran the bases, all I could hear was the pitter-patter of my feet hitting the ground as I went around the bases. And by the time I got to home plate and everybody was jumping on me, then the the crowd noise came back in a a rush. And it was just pandemonium. But I, I kid you not, it was absolutely silent all the way around the basement i don't know what it is i've never asked a psychologist but i'd like to, to figure out professionally what it is that my brain did to, to shut things down for that time
0: i mean it it sounds like a scene in a movie i mean that's the way they yeah. would shoot it in a movie right where everything just goes quiet and and you're hearing your cleats hit the dirt
1: yeah exactly It's exactly what happened and uh Ugh. yeah it, it was it was pretty neat time and uh you know there's a lot going on there was a friend of mine that that had just been in a car accident and was paralyzed and and i was planning to go see him after the game um you know they were being in there in, in the bay area there's a lot of folks that uh you know the strike had just happened in 1994 and so a lot of people in the bay area and across the country a lot of people were still angry with baseball i'm still mad at both the players and the owners for you know um having the 1994 season be cut short and not having a world series in and, and having labor strife really, really tear at the, at the fabric of the game. I think a lot of people in the Bay area, we're, we're, we're still angry. A lot of baseball fans in the Bay area, we're still angry. So I think it was a neat time for the different personalities of our team, of that team in 1997, JT Snow, Stan Javier, Marvin Bernard, uh, Daryl Ham, the late Daryl Hamilton, uh, Barry Bonds. And, Billy Miller and, and, uh, you know, all those guys, just really a great group of personalities that I think um, really connected with the Bay Area during that time and really uh, made it exciting for folks. We we weren't expected to win anything. And uh, kind of a a bunch of guys that got together that didn't necessarily come up with the Giants, Richie Aurelia, and uh, to name a few other guys, and Glenn Allen Hill. and, And we weren't really expected to do much of anything, and I think, the Bay area baseball fan and San Francisco giant fan uh, really kind of um, uh, car- really paid attention to us. And really, I think we, we became interesting to the baseball fan at that point. And, and I think our story ending with this moment that night or that day, rather that turned into night. <laughs> um, I think the, 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 the San Francisco giant and, and Bay area baseball fan were, were with us uh, the whole time. And, I really had a blast on, on this day.
0: Oh, oh, that's that's uh, that's for sure. That's for certain. Um, you know, I, I I still remember where I was when when you hit that ball. Um, I was uh, I had finished up work at a little radio station in Paso Robles. I was uh, I, I was it was my last year of college, and uh, I, I came out of work and I got in the car and turned the radio on, and that was the first pitch that I heard. And I thought I oh, didn't wow. know if it was really? live. Yeah, I didn't know it was because it was the first pitch of the inning. But I I wonder do do a lot of people tell you that like like they remember exactly where they were when you hit that ball?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I get uh, I get approached I, since it happened. I've gotten I think I met every all fifty four thousand people that were there. Uh, but no, it, it's it's really a, a neat thing. You know, I, growing up in the Bay Area, it, it, it's it's just such a great place and playing at Stanford and all that. But then playing with the Giants, and not just playing with the Giants, but being there when we won, and then having a moment like that, you know, a lot of people have talked about uh, that game also being one of the better games that they'd ever seen in their lives. And and uh, and then my home run, yeah, I've, I've heard so many times from different people and, and people, you know, the, the, the Bay Area baseball fan and the, and the San Francisco Giants fan in particular, and the organization, honestly, has really been so good to me in in all these years since nineteen ninety seven, and a lot of it had to do with that that split second in time, and and it was just really a, a special place. Uh, I was grateful to have been there and to be able to experience that, and and my goodness, it really has enhanced uh, you know my life. A lot of great moments have come from that. Um, I, I just I couldn't have been more humble and more. Uh, appreciative of that as a Barry kid and open kid, and and um, just it was really it brought me to tears after the game. Honestly, I was I was uh, exhausted uh, mentally from calling the game and and, and just getting through all that. And you know everybody was celebrating around me. I just kind of stood off to the side because um, that wasn't that didn't interest me. You know, throwing champagne everywhere. I did it. You know, but. That didn't really interest me. What I loved was the exhaustion that I had uh, from, from a, a job well done and, and the satisfaction of overcoming what we had overcome as a team and, and honestly as me as a player. And to be able to have experienced that in my hometown, I just sat back and watched everybody celebrate as I had one of the most amazing uh, feelings of absolute satisfaction that I've, I've ever had.
0: Uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to hear. And uh, you know what, what's also interesting about your moment is that uh, you guys still had nine more games to play, and and, and you yeah. had a division to go win. People don't remember you had another huge moment a week later, three-three tie in Colorado. You homered off Steve Reed in the ninth inning to win that one. So what, what do you remember about that game?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that really well. I I remember that. I was 0-2 to Steve Reed was a, for people who don't remember, he was a right-handed pitcher that was a sidearm guy, you know, as a, uh, submariner guy. So really hard for right-handed guys to to hit. And, um, and so he got me 0-2 and I had the world's worst swing on my second, on the second pitch. I was, you know, off balance. My, my head and shoulders were flying to the third base dugout. And he just completely, because, you know, it's hard. One of the problems with submarine guys is that you can't tell oftentimes between a fastball and a slider. So he threw a flat slider, and I thought it was a fastball, and I just had the worst swing ever. And I'm 0-2, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that was ugly. And so I just got back in there and said, okay, I don't care what he just threw me. I'm, I'm going to have uh, uh, amnesia, volunteer amnesia, and I'm just going to look fastball and just jump on it. And I, that ball I hit is the furthest ball I'd hit in my life. It was like 490 feet or something like that, or 480 or something like that. You know, in Colorado, it helps you out. because the, right. the But I crushed that ball. And, um, and what I remember most, what I enjoyed most, was that um, I took the, the press. Uh, well, We took two uh, buses away from the game to the airport. And, uh, you know, the airport's a long way away in Denver. And I remember just a neat moment to be able to sit amongst the, the press and some of the families and be able to, to – uh, to 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 just kind of hear the whispers around and and just be able to sit there amongst uh, uh, these guys and just talk a little bit about the game, but just have that satisfaction again, you know, the, the moment of satisfaction I talked about in the locker room back, you know, when everybody was celebrating in San Francisco. I got just as much as one sitting in this quiet media bus on the way to the airport by myself, just absorbing the satisfaction of the moment that this is a big deal. It wasn't at home. And it wasn't a raucous crowd because the, the Colorado Rockies fans were not happy with us, but it was just as important for me to, to be able to make that happen. And, and I was really, you know, I was really very, very excited and very satisfied, but in a quiet,
0: uh, in a quiet way. Uh, Brian, three days later, you guys beat the Padres and and you clinched the West. And as we know, the postseason run ended up being uh, a, a quick one. Uh, but but when you look back on on clinching the West and, and just reflecting on that the entire experience what comes to mind
1: yeah we ran into the, the Miami Marlins who uh, were playing great they ended up winning the World Series that year and Gary Sheffield and Freddie McGriff and those guys and, and yeah we just kind of ran it and each of those games I think it was one nothing two one with and that was during the time where you that was the best two out of three so if you you know lose two right away you're, you're in trouble and I think the first game was extra innings. It was just crazy. just really unfortunate, um, that we, uh, that we got bounced so quickly because we had such a good team and we really were loaded and really ready for a long postseason run. But, um, you know, I think, <laughs> I think what we found by, you know, the three World Series teams with the Giants in 2010, 12, and 14 is that you need some luck in the playoffs. You need some luck. We were being outplayed by, By the Nationals, we were being outplayed by the Cincinnati Reds at different points of the playoffs in in each of those three runs, and even the Nationals. And we were able to find a way to win. And that's what Miami was able to do to us that year in 1997 where I think pound for pound we were the better team and they were able to beat us in a short series. So we were thoroughly um, uh, angry and, and disappointed in the way that season ended. Uh, but we did have some satisfaction that, hey, we were able to put ourselves back on the map. We were able to beat the uh, the juggernaut that was the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, we made a statement that we can play. All of us had come from somewhere else. Most of us had come from somewhere else, and we had made a statement that we can come together and we could play with anybody. And so, uh, you know, after we got done licking our wounds from losing in the playoffs, we got back home and, and realizing, hey, we really did accomplish something in 1997 during the season and winning the National League West uh, championship, and that meant a lot to us. And Dusty got uh, manager of the year, so that was uh, really fun for us to experience as well. And I think Brian Sabian was uh, Exec- executive of the year as well, and that was really great for us.
0: Uh, Brian, what a story. What a what a story the, the year is. What a story your, your athletic uh, experience has been. I know Giants fans are going to cherish this conversation. Thank you so much for taking us through it and spending the time. really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate great questions and a great conversation. And uh, always fun to, to connect back with the, with the Bay Area and, and uh, the San Francisco Giants fans. So uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive conversations, subscribe to the Inside Giant Moments podcast presented by T-Mobile now.